Welcome to season four, episode two of the Lucas Baseball Podcast, brought to you by DrRoto.com. Check out our fantasy baseball draft guide. Start dominating your drafts and your leagues with all our amazing content there. I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host, Lucas Beery. And on our last episode, we discussed the catcher rankings. This episode, we're talking first baseman. And Lucas, everyone knows who these guys are if you're playing fantasy baseball. But this position does feature two of the top 18 to 20 players in fantasy baseball. Absolutely. Anyone that was touting Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, for, for the previous few years, they got rewarded and then some with a 48 home run. 311 batting average i mean 167 wrc plus second in mvp despite providing very little defensive value i mean it's just the numbers are staggering and he should be a top three pick based on his raw points if you're in points leagues but in rotisserie leagues it's a difficult build to go in the first round and not add uh, any stolen bases and uh, or or an elite starter so i'm kind of out on the first round in the first top 10 picks but back half of the first if he ever fell there i'd be happy to do it yeah i mean clearly one of the best pure hitters around and one of the top bats available who don't steal bases um yeah basically i mean i just took him sixth overall in a draft that holds as an anchor for my offense all those top bats that could also swipe bags were gone um so he was kind of the obvious choice for me and quite frankly he's a possible triple crown winner um i mean i know baseball was different you know even eight to ten years ago but miguel cabrera at one point when he was winning those triple crowns he was an easy top three pick i kind of look at vladdy as the same way right now very fair i think in a yahoo league where you know, you're not worried about an overall contest like NFBC is. I think in a Yahoo or in a home league, I mean, he's very easy top five to eight pick. It's just for my personal build, I want to make this clear. I'm really looking for those steals. And unfortunately, he just doesn't really do that. So for sure. I mean, I'd much rather Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Fernando Tatis, uh, Juan Soto. Let me ask you this, though. Based on ADP, and I think one of the biggest mistakes people make in their draft is following the ADP so religiously, but yep. you come up, it's pick six. Bryce Harper, Vladimir Guerrero. Guerrero's the better hitter, no doubt, but Bryce Harper gets those stolen bases. Is it, is it enough to make up the difference for you? At that spot, I do prefer Harper over him, but uh, just being really... Uh, in depth here, I, I have quite a handful of shares of Bryce Harper. I have four shares of him in my nine leagues because I have had a lot of number 10 picks, so I've taken him a lot. So I'd probably spin to a Garrett Cole there, to be honest. All right, there you go. So you don't love Vladdy that early because of the lack of steals. I get it. I think yep. it's still more of an overall thing versus just trying to win your league. Trying to win your league, you're cool with it. And Well, on top of that, I mean, we'll get into them very shortly, but there are a ton of excellent first base options, and they're not going to give you steals later on during the draft. However, where the guys like Trey Mancini, Joey Votto, and Reese Hoskins go, you're not sacrificing that many steals anyways because there aren't many steals down there. In the first round, instead of taking Vlad, you're, or if you do take Vlad, you are passing on steals, but later on, you know, both guys aren't going to get steals is my point. You're right, and I can tell you, I mean, it's a draft and hold versus, uh, you know, a league where you're going to be able to pick guys up on FAB and free agency, but um, 
the rest of my draft since taking Vladdy, I have had to think in the back of my mind, can this guy get me steals? Can this guy get me steals? Um, I've tried to not force myself to do it, but I ended up with Cedric Mullins who can do it. I ended up mm-hmm. with Bregman who can get a little bit here or there. Uh, but I almost chased Trent Grisham when I could have easily taken J.D. Martinez, which I ended up doing. Um, and I, I would have been a big mistake for me to go with Grisham at that point just for the maybe 15 to 20 stolen bases. So you can get caught chasing them with a guy like Vlad. But let's talk about the other top first baseman, yep. Freddie Freeman. Clear number two option at the position. He's not as good as Vlad, but I think he's clearly better than the rest, regardless of kind of where he signs, whether he goes back to Atlanta or goes anywhere else. This guy is a four-category stud and one of the most consistent hitters you're going to find. Exactly. He's kind of becoming what Nolan Arenado was at his course peak whenever he was hitting, you know, 300 plus batting average with 40 homers. I'm not saying that's what uh, Freeman's going to do uh, because Freeman is going to be locked into that 300 batting average as a career 295 hitter um, and 30 home runs is easy. Obviously, he's going to hit in the middle of a, an elite lineup, probably either. Uh, the Braves or the Dodgers or the Yankees are kind of the popular spots that he could go to as an as a unrestricted free agent. But those steals that he provides, although he may only provide six to 10 of those, they do add up at the first base position where basically no one provides steals. So even though it's a small number of six to 10 steals from Freeman, it's pretty nice because he's an athletic player. He's very uh, cerebral. I mean, he's probably one of the best hitters in the game and, he knows when to run, kind of like Chase Utley did back in the day. Great points there, man. Next here is still star caliber. Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonzo, and it's a tier I'm likely passing on. There's players who can help me in five categories who are going in this price range, and it's also where I'm likely going to be taking my first starting pitcher, considering the way I draft at least. I typically wait till round three or round four to draft one. Um, certainly no doubting the power from Olsen and Alonzo. Uh, Goldie, a very balanced player, does have some stolen base ability at least. Um, so if you're looking for some, at least he can give you some compared to Olsen and Alonzo. But overall, these are just going, uh, guys are going in a, range where I just there's so many players to choose from so many guys who can help you a lot more considering the quality of first baseman either before them or right after them absolutely I'm I'm pretty much passing on almost all the top first base options until we get later on in the show here but with Olsen the big thing there is that he went from a 26 percent you know career strikeout rate down to 16 percent extremely rare to see a player take 10 percent off their K rate um, so I don't know how much that's going to stick. He might be a 20% strikeout guy next year, which could ding his batting average a little bit, but him and Pete Alonso are very similar 40 home run guys, potentially with a 250 batting average and loads of runs and ribbies hitting third or fourth in their lineup. So they're both really good options. If you want to go, uh, for, for an early first baseman, but that's not my plan of attack quickly here. Let on, me ask on you this Yeah, quickly with Olsen. Mm-hmm. Let's just say the rumors are true. And he ends up being traded to the New York Yankees. Does that change your view on him to maybe becoming a 50 home run guy and um, just getting pitched to completely different? I mean, what is his protection in Oakland realistically? All of a sudden he goes to New York and he's sandwiched between Judge and Stanton. It's going to raise his ADP a lot. I think he could move up a full round, if not more. So that has to be considered. 
Now, as far as looking up how many home runs he would have hit in Yankee Stadium, I'm pulling up uh, baseball savant here to try to get that number for you here, Lou. Okay, so, you know, last year in Oakland, he hit 39 home runs. If you would have overlaid uh, all the home run distances with the fence heights in Yankee Stadium, would have been 41 home runs. So, uh, Okay, so not a huge, huge, huge jump necessarily. No, but it is a better opportunity for more runs and RBIs, so I do think uh, a jump in cost could be warranted. But I also think that uh, it's just buying high on a career year where it's uh, it's just tough for me to do personally. Yeah, I, again, I'm not doing it because I yeah. I almost never take a pitcher in the first two rounds, meaning I need to get them in the rounds where Olsen, Goldschmidt, and Alonzo are going. So it's just like just based on that alone. I'm not doing it, but then based on the values and other players moving forward, um, that's kind of where I'm leaning. Speaking of the next players here, we'll call them the consolation prizes. Jose Abreu, Jared Walsh, Joey Votto, Josh Bell, DJ LeMayhew, Reese Hoskins, CJ Crone, and Ryan Mountcastle. And there's not really a bad option in this tier, and there's some pretty good values to be had as well. My favorite tier for first baseman this season, Abreu going in the top 75, my least favorite just because of the ADP. Um, he's the only guy inside the top 100 in this tier. Votto, I like him. I like his ballpark, but the power numbers, I'm not sure they're repeatable. LeMahieu, not a power bat, and I want power at first base other than the 2019 season from LeMahieu where he hit 26 homers, career best, just 15. Uh, the rest are all very intriguing, though. Walsh, my favorite of the bunch, my favorite first baseman this season. I've already told you on any redraft I've done, I own him everywhere so far, and I'm looking to make it another one in this current draft and hold. Um, he has batting average. He has power. A healthy Trout and Rendon could take things to a whole other level for him. Mm-hmm. And then if you want power, I mean, Hoskins, Crow, and Mountcastle, all of them should and can hit 30 to 40 homers. Um, I haven't mentioned Josh Bell yet. Uh, that reason being that I just don't like the supporting cast he has other than Soto. But if he's there in round 10 or later, I'd be hard to pass up on him too. This tier is just loaded with talent and value. This is the reason why I'm not going for the top dogs early on. You see, I'm going to try to get my steals and my pitching early. And I'll take these guys later. And in fact, if you can fill your corner infield, if your league has that, with one of these guys, as well as your first baseman, you're going to be off to a huge start. Um, with Abreu, he's getting a lot older. He's 35. It's not the not super scary, but it is something to be considered with a little bit more injury risk. But it's a loaded lineup, as we mentioned on catcher with Yasmani Grandal. There's potential for huge counting stats. I'm with you on Walsh, 996 OPS against right-handed pitching last year. There's a chance that he gets a little bit platoon, but I don't even know if they're going to do that because they probably want to just develop him against lefties to get his chances there. Votto, I know you're a little concerned with his power coming a little bit back down, but he did have an approach change and his barrel rate was through the roof, 16% barrels. I mean, that's something that, in my opinion, you cannot fake. You cannot luck into that, in my opinion. With Bell? No, but you also don't see dudes having career power years at 37 years old and then completely doing it again the next year, unless you're Nelson Cruz. That is fair, but this is also Joey Votto and I don't yeah. want to just, you know, go for, for just a big name, but I do have a lot of trust with him and he is going to have that guaranteed three spot 
an, an amazing home ballpark in Cincy. So I'm yeah. good with it. As and one. something that people may not pay attention to as much, if you're in an OBP league versus a batting average league, Votto gets a huge bump up. Huge. Absolutely. Huge. One of the best there is. Career 416, many a year. I believe seven different times he led the National League in on-base percentage. So this is a on-base percentage star and still hits for a pretty solid average. And you're right. The approach did change um i shouldn't knock the knock the power i just i just don't have as much faith in him repeating those power numbers um and i think there's more upside from the guys like walsh and if you're looking for the power i still trust Mm -hmm. hoskins crone and mountcastle more hey for just power it makes sense as far as mountcastle i'm pretty we can be brief on him his approach is horrendous i mean he strikes out a ton but he does have over 1,000 OPS for his career at home. Now, with the fences moving in, he is going to slip a touch in drafts. I wouldn't be overly worried about that, but it's just a poor approach. But the 30 homers probably be locked in there. CJ Crone, if you can take him out of the lineup whenever he's on the road. Another guy who had another 1,000 OPS at home in Colorado. So if you can bench him on the road, uh, that could be an appealing idea. Hoskins, I think he honestly has Pete Alonso level power if he can stay fully healthy. Yeah, you're looking at a worse batting average, but I think that there is a world that he could hit 40 home runs. And then on LeMahieu, I'd like to kind of wrap up with him, if you don't mind, and kind of get your, your opinion on what you would think of him in a draft and hold where you can move him around from first, second, use him at third, which is a tough position. What do you think with LeMahieu in a, in a draft and hold, Lou? I mean, I absolutely love the positional eligibility, and I like the player, and I'm not taking his struggles last year into account because he was playing injured basically the entire time. Um, No one's going to be at their best when they're doing that. So kind of throw that out the window. Um, But also, I think you can't look at 2019 either when he had the career high in homers and runs and RBIs. because I think that might be an outlier as well. A lot of guys hit a lot of home runs in 2019. I think that was one of the years of the juiced ball, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So let's kind of throw that aside. But in terms of a guy that's going to score a lot of runs Mm -hmm. and should hit for a good average, you're going to get that from DJ LeMahieu. So um, if you're taking him as a corner infield guy or to move around, I love him. If he's your first baseman and you're not getting another big power bat at some point at first or in the corner you might suffer a little bit because he's not going to give you those power numbers i don't think let me ask you how you would feel about this line if you were to receive this from lemayhew and he goes just for reference around maybe pick 100 to 125 roughly so if you're looking at a 17 home run 95 run with a 68 rbi year six steals and a 285 batting average how would that feel right around pick 110 or so it feels pretty good, actually. Uh, okay. It really, it also depends on the makeup of your team, what you do before and what you do after to balance it all out. Because he's not, he's not one of those twenty-five homer, three hundred batting average, hundred and a hundred type of guys. Yeah. But he's close potentially in three of those categories to being elite. So if you can make up for it, like. I know, I know it's a little lazy because they're on the same team, but we were talking earlier about trying to balance out, um, you know, low batting averages from certain guys. 
um, that you might get with a, a Mount Castle potentially with you know his poor approach. If you can get Mount Castle and LeMahieu on your teams, um, I mean that kind of balances out the lack of power from one and the batting average from the other. No, that makes perfect sense. And I did give you the best projection I could find on LeMahieu. That was steamer projection. The other ones have him more at 13 to 14 home runs, which would not be very good. I mean, it wouldn't be that much worse, but that's a little challenging to take that on. But the I think there's a chance for 300 batting average. And more importantly, Yankees leadoff bat, that is a special position in fantasy baseball. I think 100 runs scored could be in the cards last year in 150 games. He had 84 runs. And as you know, the Yankees offense actually averaged less runs scored per game than the Cleveland Guardians, which is pretty rough when you think about that. And that's going to get better. They're going to be a better team. It's just gravity is going to lift them up. So I personally really love LeMahieu in DCs because I can put him in as my utility. And then once injuries hit, I can move him all over the place and make sure I have good coverage. So I really like him as that leadoff, elite average, elite runs, and hopefully enough power that I'm not noticing too much of a drain. I'm with you there. I will say in draft and holds, or daily lineup leagues, he's yeah. wonderful because of the eligibility. Agreed. Next tier, still very serviceable. We have Jake Cronenworth, Anthony Rizzo, Yuli Gurriel, Ty France, Alex Kirilov, Trey Mancini, and Brandon Belt. And I look at this tier, and there's three players that stand out to me the most. Cronenworth on a good team, good positional eligibility eligibility uh found his power stroke in 2021 more than doubled his career high that he had in pro baseball what concerns me is whether or not he can do it again i like the player just not necessarily at first base next guy i like trey mancini you're likely getting him in a spot where he will act as your corner infielder rather than your first baseman regardless of that though he's got power career 271 hitter in major league baseball bats in the middle of an up-and-coming orioles lineup if you're looking for him to replicate 2019, though, with 35 homers, 97 ribbies, and 106 runs while batting 291, probably going to come short of your expectations. But clearly, he has potential to do that sort of damage again, which would make him a ridiculous steal at his ADP. And the third player from this tier that I'm definitely going to be having shares of is Yuli Gurriel being taken at close to pick 200 even later on some sites but this is the reigning al batting champion uh this guy seems to be getting better with age as well as past two full mlb seasons have actually been the best of his career hitting a good lineup could get an even more prime spot in the order because correa departing in free agency he can hit for average he can hit for enough power and should have Mm -hmm. probably 160 to 170 runs plus rbis Absolutely. I mean, there's a chance it could be more if they do not replace Correa and he moves up a little bit in that lineup and he's just so locked in for, for batting average. If you if you have enough power and you just want a very reliable hitter, Guriel is an amazing target. As far as Cronenworth, theoretically, he could have somewhat similar profile as LeMahieu, but he doesn't have third base. He is triple eligible with first, second, and shortstop, but not having third base is rough because shortstop is a lot deeper than third base. So that's a huge difference in their triple eligibility. Decent, but I'm not paying for it. As far as Rizzo, I think people are kind of ready to be done with Anthony Rizzo, Lou. I think 
they don't see any power. They see a, not in a good batting average, but I see a professional hitter. I see a guy who's going to have a really good role, a good lineup spot. And I think he's a really good buy here. And I pretty much like all these guys in this tier outside of Ty France, who I think is being overdrafted. I don't see a lot of power potential. And if his batting average slips, he's very bland. Uh, definitely some blandness there for sure. Um, do you have any thoughts on a guy like Kirilov? He's not someone I really touched upon, um, nor is Brandon Belt. Um, mm-hmm. Belt obviously has had some great success and some lack thereof, but Kirilov is one of those guys who I kind of want to have that breakout season. I'm mm-hmm. just not sure if he's ready for it yet, if he's going to be overmatched again like he appeared to be at times before his injury last year. I have uh, I've been invested in Kirilov for about four years now in Dynasty. Whenever I, I traded for him in 2018, and I loved the bat. I, you know, he was formerly a top 10 prospect. I know that uh, the Welsh compared him to Paul Goldschmidt, and that'd be awesome. I am worried about his wrist. He's had wrist issues repeatedly, and uh, sometimes those can be recurring, which is fear fearful. So in draft and holds, I'm pretty much out on him because I just want as much reliable production as possible. But in a league like a TGFBI or in a fab league, I'd love him because if he is not panning out or if he misses more than a few few weeks to a month or two, you can just cut him and kind of move on. So I'm a little concerned about him. I love the upside, but you know some health issues and some some lack of proven production is there, but he's a very good upside play, I think. All right. Anything else on this tier? With Trey Mancini, uh, this is a guy that you liked a lot. I like him a lot, too. Uh, you can get him after pick 200 a lot of the times. If you're a wait on first base kind of guy, he's going to have an elite lineup spot hitting third or fourth for the for the Baltimore Orioles, hitting in the AL East, which will put him in Boston, Toronto, uh, New York, which are great parks. People are going to be concerned about the fences moving back for Baltimore, and I can understand that, but uh, the price will – We'll bake that in. And he slowed down in the second half, which is not surprising considering the fact he missed 2020 recovering after he dominated cancer and came back like a hero. So it's not surprising that a guy slowed down in the second half when he missed the previous full year. So I'm all over Mancini. I think he's one of the best values in corner infield and on the board. Hells to the yeah, brother. Uh, let's move on to the next tier. Plan B options. We got Jonathan Scope, Nate or Nathaniel Lowe, if you want to be proper, Jesus Aguilar, and Miguel Sano. And I like Aguilar and Sano in this tier. They can be taken between rounds 18 or 16 to 18, I guess, in 15 team leagues. Hopefully my math is right there. But Aguilar, yeah. not going to hurt your batting average. He can hit 20 plus homers. He can drive in 80 to 90 runs and should benefit from there being a DH in the NL. Marlins also an improved lineup overall, which should provide more RBI and run scoring opportunities than he had a year ago. Then there's Miguel Sano. And I think if he bats 230, you'll be pretty happy, Lucas. Uh, Not going to hit for a high average, though, and you're kind of going to have to accept it. uh, Where he can do, though, is hit a lot of home runs. He can score runs and he can drive in runs. 
over 30 homers in each of the past two full seasons should combine for 150 to 160 runs and rbis like a lot of powers who don't hit for batting average i prefer to know more so in a head-to-head type of league than i do in a roto league because the batting average won't always hurt you some weeks it might actually be good whereas in roto overall you might be getting you know 210 215 uh, again 230 i'd be happy yeah, this is a this is another interesting tier. I would be okay if if some of these guys are my starting first baseman. I wouldn't be thrilled, but I think this is okay. I don't um, like them at first base. I much yeah. prefer them as corner infield guys. Especially, I, I mean, I mean, I don't even want lower scope all that much. I would take them, but with Aguilar and Snow, I think you'd be getting an almost an advantage if you can get them in the corner infield spots. Ideally, I totally agree. I'm just saying if I, you know, had two, you know, guaranteed or solid close, and there's nothing guaranteed, but if I had two solid closers, you know, really good pitching staff and, and plenty of power speed, and I focused on other things, if this was kind of my weak spot, I would be able to live with it is kind of what I'm trying to say. Uh, so as far as to know, I mean, if you do add him to your team, I'm I'm somewhat open to it. I just would not have Gary Sanchez or Zanino as well because both of those guys, they're just going to be boat anchors to drop down your average. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we talked about that on the catcher podcast. Yeah. Um, how bad those guys' averages were. Yeah, if you put them with Sano or something, you're, you're, <laughs> you're in deep, deep waters in Roto. In head-to-head, you might actually be yeah. fine. That's true. It's maybe you can do one of them if you, if you feel up to the task. But uh, with Aguilar, briefly, I... I was surprised that he only struck out 18% of the time after digging in on him. He seems like he's like a Chris Carter in a way, you know, but uh, he's good. He's solid. It's not a great team. So there isn't a ton of threats to his competition because even though he's not an amazing hitter, he's a lot better than what they have unless Lewin Diaz comes to, comes to fruition soon. Scope, boring, good, going to play, got a contract extension, dual eligible, good player. And then with Lowe, he's probably probably uh, the the most concerning one for me. I know that he's young and people hope for more, but 55% ground ball rate is is horrible. He, he... that new ballpark in Texas isn't going to do him any favors either. Definitely not. Um, some question marks here, though. Um, uh, that these are the next tier of guys of the question marks we got some max muncie some spencer torkelson lamont wade jr rowdy Telez, bobby bradley and frank schwindel and i'm actually intrigued by some of the question mark guys muncie i'm likely to avoid at all costs just because the injury concerns uh, and the draft price although again if you're playing in leagues with injured reserve spots it's not the worst thing uh to be able to stash him but just not at the adp he has right now but the players that do interest me torkelson lamont wade and bobby bradley torkelson gonna be in the big leagues at some point this season quite early potentially has 30 homer potential destroyed all three levels of the minor leagues a year ago should be an immediate impact bat and he's not going all that high but i think maybe a bit too early just because of the high profile name 
Lamont Wade Jr. coming off a pretty impressive yet surprising season. Did next to nothing with the Twins in 19 and 20. Excelled with the Giants in 21. Perhaps it was a flash in the pan, which is why he's part of this question mark tier. But the universal DH coming to the NL, the ability to play in multiple positions should allow mm-hmm. him to find ways to get into the Giants lineup more often than not, which could be a good thing for you. And then there's Bobby Bradley, basically a less proven left-handed version of Miguel Sano at this point. He's not going to hit for average. In fact, his average is probably going to be around 200, which could be a killer, but going to hit 30 or so homers combined for 150 or more runs plus RBIs. Does that not sound like Miguel Sano? (laughs) And then, of course, uh, Cleveland. They They rack up some runs and some hits, but they lack some pop. And that's something that Bradley can provide. I like Sano, again, I like him more in the head-to-head than I do in Roto. But if you want to take a shot, a flyer on a guy pure power-wise, Bobby Bradley could be the way to go. Absolutely. Bradley is a guy that catches my attention because he goes fairly late and he's high variance. It's not a steady Eddie. This could either be a big boom of of 30 homers and a 220 average, or this guy could be in AAA Columbus. So it's it could work out or it won't either way. Schwindel, I'm worried about him because I, I could see the Cubs papering over him with free agency with Rizzo. It's just he could work out, but I think uh, there is some risk to him. And I don't think avoiding him is going to make me lose my league or anything. So I'm just going different route there. Wade Jr. is is a very underrated player. I know that you mentioned he was poor in Minnesota, which is true. But he did walk at a double-digit clip at every stop, which is massive in my opinion. And the Giants cleaned up some things in his mechanics I had read recently. So they did that with a lot of their veterans. And their coaching staff is elite. Wade Jr. is on the right side of the platoon. And he's going to play play uh, pretty often. And he can play in outfield too, which is massive, considering that's a tough position at times. Max Muncie, simply put, torn UCL. Also, he had a sprained elbow. He admitted he's recovering slowly. I wouldn't be surprised if come March or April, if he's not doing well, they put him under the knife and they give him Tommy John surgery. I don't want that to be the case, but therefore, uh, you know, that could happen. I'm, I'm out completely. Yeah, I can't justify the Muncie price. Certainly um, in, you know, draft and holds or uh, high st- Stakes leagues. There is another do, tier uh, here. I oh, do have yeah. a question for you here on this tier. I wanted to throw this one to you, Lou. Uh, Rowdy Telez, what are you seeing there? Do you think that he could get full time at bats? What are you seeing? Uh, Rowdy Telez, man. If you recall, I was super in on him when he got traded last year to the Brewers, and mm-hmm. there was certainly things to like. Uh, I guess my biggest concern for him would be being a platoon bat potentially uh but perhaps with the dh i mean it's such a huge factor we just don't know how it's going to play out yet who's going to get those at bats um he could get more playing time and that would certainly give him a nice bump i mean i think when he plays he's going to be productive um i mean he can hit for a decent average he's got some pop um but he might not play in more than like 95 games or so maybe 100, and I think that might limit him to under 20 homers, under 70 RBIs, under 70 runs type of thing. And at that point, it's like, you know, in a weekly league, if you're using him, what if you only get three or four days a week? That would be kind of a disaster. I 
I want to like him, and I do kind of like him. He doesn't strike out that much. 20% K rate, you know, 12% barrel rate is excellent. He's shown good numbers, but they could platoon him with Keston Hira if he's showing any life. Although with with injuries that occur, that's going to uh, cement Telez's playing time as well, since the depth chart is not super deep in Milwaukee. Definitely. He's certainly a guy that comes with a lot of question marks, perfectly placed he in does. that tier. Um, to the last tier, the leftovers, we got Yoshi Sutsugo, Luke Voigt, Pavin Smith, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Miguel Cabrera. And I can tell you right off the bat, I'm passing on Miggy. Doesn't hit for average anymore. Doesn't hit for power anymore. Dahlbeck is one of those guys that some people find intriguing. And I did write him up in the Boston Red Sox page. If you look at what he's done across, um, you know, a full season or so in the big leagues, um, everything's good but the batting average. But he can't hit right-handed pitching. And that could make him a platoon bat, which kind of scares me away. Pavin Smith, incredibly meh to me, which leaves Yoshi Suzuko and Luke Voigt as guys who I do have interest in. Yoshi basically free in drafts this season. Ended up on the Pirates to finish 2021, was actually quite productive too, 43 games, had 20 runs, hit 8 homers, drove in 25, batted a very respectable 268 and had a well above average 347 OBP. If you want to look across a full season, not that it's going to happen, but we'd be looking at 30 homers, 75 runs, and 90 RBIs. Um, Again, Chances are he can't do that over a full year, and maybe it was just a really strong finish to the season, but certainly potential making him a nice flyer. And then Luke Voigt completely fallen out of favor with fantasy owners, probably with the Yankees too, it seems. Injured a year ago a lot, cost him most of the season. Yankees eventually replaced him with Anthony Rizzo, but Rizzo hasn't re-signed. First base wide open in New York right now, and a healthy Voigt could reclaim his spot and completely dominate. I mean, he's not far removed from leading the American League in homers during that 2020 COVID season. Certainly worth a gamble at his um, place where he's going. I mean, he's not even a top 30 first baseman, it seems, right now. Yeah, this is a tier that does not provide any excitement for me. A couple of the guys in here, like Sutsugo, uh, Pavin Smith, and Cabrera, I'm intrigued by them at a very cheap price in draft and holds because I think they're going to play. Now, they're not you know, particularly great, but I think they'll play. Dahlback, fully out. 36% strikeout rate on his career. That's petrifying. This is a competitive team. The owner, the uh, front office that, that drafted him is gone. and the Tristan Cassis, baby. That's what I'm saying. I agree. Uh, I was kind of going to get to him, but... You know, it's not even like Dahlback is under the same regime that picked him. So I think that his leash could be short. And then on Voigt, um, and I hope that Casas can provide some some fantasy value. Our dynasty team could uh, could use that from him. But with Luke Voigt, and feel feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but since the Yankees are such a right-handed team, first base is an opportunity for them to bring in a left-handed hitter, whether it's Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson or Anthony Rizzo, I could see them trying to go one of those routes. And even if you say, okay, well, they'll just trade away Luke Voigt. Not necessarily. This is a team that held on to Clint Frazier for insurance, which is good because you can never have enough depth. But that's not going to be good for Voigt because I could see him being a bench bat starting one or two games a week. And, you know, I just uh, I see a lot of risk, especially with his health, too. He hasn't really played 
a full season and uh outside of 2019 i believe he did but well I don't know, then he, he played full in 2020 as well he played 56 of the 60 games um that's it's really it really just last year that he had a number of issues and i think he rushed back and then tried to win that job back because he was worried about rizzo um but yeah i mean i could see him being traded certainly um if it were to be something with Matt Olson, there would be a trade. But as uh, if Rizzo or Freeman were to be signed, clearly he would have very little value and he wouldn't necessarily be traded either. Thing is, Yankees have proven to be relatively cheap in free agency as of late, yeah. other than Garrett Cole. Um, and I could see them actually staying with Luke Voigt because they do have the option of potentially um, using LeMahieu at first base. They could. There's a lot of ways this can go, and I just think that there is a bit of downside. Now, if the chips fall, and let's say that Rizzo goes goes somewhere, not to the Yankees, and, and Olsen and Freeman stay put, and they have Voight as the starter, I do like him. I, I agree he did play a full season in 2020, but if you do remember, he was dealing with a major foot ailment in the playoffs. I think it was plantar fasciitis, so I'm just kind of saying the health risk is there, in my opinion. and Very much so. Playing risk is too, you know? Absolutely, but that's also why he's what thirty second ranked for us in the first sure. base. I mean, they're basically basically not paying anything for him, um, and he's like an easy cut. Should you draft him and then Rizzo sign or a trade happen or whatever it might be? Um, I mean, remember how value had the value he was going at in twenty twenty, then how much he disappointed last year. So he's back to being that guy that could provide a Mets value should he get the playing time. He could. He's a talented bat. I don't want to dismiss him. I just I see some some serious downside risk for his playing time, and also you got to factor in there is a bit of health risk too. But he's absolutely, a good bat. absolutely on both sides. Any final thoughts here on first base on this tiers in general, or uh, just fantasy drafts you have coming up? Yeah, I think with the first base position. Um, it's a loaded it's a loaded group uh, as you continue on down it's not like there's a, a clear cliff where you're like uh oh i don't have a first baseman yet uh, you can really just pick and choose when you want to select your option if you're addressing tons of pitching and, and some good speed early you can wait if you if you do want to invest in guerrero or freeman that's your prerogative they're really good hitters it's just what are you comfortable with drafting what's your kind of style who are your targets and you got to have your plan but there's a multitude of options. It's a very deep position. It certainly is, and lots of different uh, options for you, lots of different tiers to draft them in, and can't really go wrong, especially with any of the top uh, 12 to 15 guys for sure. This has been the Lucas Baseball Podcast First Base Rankings Edition, brought to you by Dr. Roto. Dot com. Go check out our fantasy baseball draft guide. Win those championships. I'm Lou Landers with co-host Lucas Beery. Thanks for tuning in once again to Lucas Baseball. We'll catch you next time.